paper. Guys, have you ever seen paper? Look at it. Smell it. I'm saving it for a special trade. Don't you do it. Welcome to the Mad Max Minute presents Waterworld H2O Minutes at a Time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about minutes 83 and 84, which begin with the drifter cradling his tube of paper goods and end with Helen going below deck. At the tail end of last episode, the drifter brought the Mariner back to the negotiating table by saying that he has something that the Mariner cannot afford to pass up. And as we start off this week, the Drifter opens up his plastic canister and reveals something that he took off of an Atoller refugee camp, the life savings of the entire clan, which turns out to be paper. Yes. I have thoughts and questions about this paper and mostly his statements on it. Starting off with, he took it off an Atoller refugee camp. Now, at this point in the movie... We don't know that there are any survivors from the atoll attack that we saw, but we as the viewers do know that there are survivors. So I'm left to wonder if he took it off of our atoll refugee camp. My instincts are to say no. Yeah, honestly, it doesn't really matter. I mean, I want to believe there are more atolls out there. I want to believe. That there's something out there. (laughs) The book pretty much says the same thing. Reaching inside his tattered shirt, the drifter withdrew a small sealed bottle. Within were a few pages from an ancient magazine, writing in pictures both. Picks and pans were the words at the top. The mariner's scalp began to tingle. Took it off some Matola refugees, the drifter said. Life savings of the whole clan. Been saving it for a special trade. With special being in italics. Don't do it, the woman said. It wasn't a demand, but a plea. I'm confused about the statement in the book and then what we will see from the Mariner coming up in these two minutes that his attention was drawn to the paper. Yeah, his scalp tingled as he saw the paper. Why? Other than trade value, what value does paper have to them? I want to recall the scene earlier in this movie when Helen said that if she had a magazine, then she would retire. Paper is inherently valuable because it is so rare, but it's not so much rare for the substance that it is, but for what it can contain. We talk about, oh, can these people even read? It's said in the book, it's mentioned in the movie, I think, that people are taught how to read in this world. Okay, We're not so they dealing can with a bunch read. of illiterates. Okay. So every new piece of paper is a new opportunity to learn something about the world. The world that no longer exists. But the world nonetheless. Okay. I'm struggling with the idea of paper being so valuable. Thinking about a real world comparison, I'm thinking diamonds. There are practical uses for diamonds. Certainly plenty of them. But to everyday people, the way that we use diamonds, there is no use for it whatsoever. It's purely aesthetic. It's a status symbol. It is a place to spend your money. And that has been 
ingrained in us by marketing very successfully. But there is no reason to spend money on diamonds. So I guess it's the same thing. That there's no reason paper just doesn't do anything. And yes, but I'm, paper is an antiquity. And antiquities, like you find in museums, yeah. are valuable. Right, but all that stuff, that's not for subsistence livers. That's for people who have moved beyond that stage. These people have not. These people need to eat and need to repair their boat. Seriously, I'm really struggling with the point of all of this. And the Mariner especially, having seen the entire movie, we know he has stacks of paper. He doesn't need paper. So I just don't get why he agrees to this. These people are hungry for knowledge. He's already no, read all of these pages that he already has. They don't care. That's why the Mariner's scalp tingles, because he's hungry for more. The Mariner, he's got everything down. Like, he had his tomato. He's fine. The people that are subsistence living at this point are the drifter, Helen and Enola. They're the ones that have to worry about their livelihood. The Mariner's got it down pat. He can eat whenever he wants. That's why paper is such a big deal on the atoll. It's the reason why Gregor kept all of his books squirreled away in his tower, away from everybody else. I think it's a waste of their energies. Okay. And that leads to a lot of my frustration with this scene. So the drifter convinces the mariner to agree to this, even though oh, I'm, just, I'm having a real hard time with well, this. Of course, the scene is difficult to reconcile when you don't see any inherent value in the thing that is being traded. Are you shitting me? No, no, I'm not. This talking is a fucking woman's body. Nothing is valuable enough. No, no, like. This scene is just so awful. I just hate it so much. And there's no point to it. It's fucking paper. And where does the Mariner get off on agreeing to this? I don't understand it. It's gross that it's even here. There's no point to it. It doesn't teach us anything about anybody. There's no point to this. It's being in the movie at all. And it's gross. Yeah, it's upsetting. Rightly so. I'm not going to argue on that point for sure. Helen and the Mariner are having this disagreement. The Mariner is being his usual self, physically pushing her away from the negotiation. And the Drifter is able to recognize that there is tension here. And he calls attention to it by asking, maybe I'm talking to the wrong person. Whose boat is it anyway? Is it your boat or your boat? Obviously, trying to goad the Mariner into agreeing to this barter out of pride. It is my boat. I make the decision. No one else can tell me no. Fine, we'll do this deal. And it works. Mm -hmm. I don't even have any more words. I don't even know what to say about this scene anymore. I knew that this was going to be a hard scene to talk about, but I don't even know what to say about it anymore. I do appreciate Helen's defiance by saying that it is his boat, meaning the Mariner, but he doesn't own us. She never accepts it by but succumbing she, to it. She yes, is, she does. She is forced into it. Like, she's led around and not given the opportunity to escape it. Because she's outnumbered in this situation. She's in a really crap situation where her humanity has been stripped from her and she is now a commodity. She is essentially a shelf on a wall. And the Drifter has come in to purchase her. Yep. So despite her protests, the Mariner sells her for half an hour. And the Drifter starts handing over the canister. And before the Mariner fully takes the canister, the drifter tries to change the deal. Instead of half an hour with Helen, he wants 45 minutes with Enola. And the Mariner, maybe the one redeeming thing in this episode... No, don't even say that. 
Don't even put redeem and the mariner in the same sentence. Okay. This is not a redemption. The mariner rejects that offer. Right, because it's a ter- like he could he can excuse exploiting a woman by prostituting her against her will, but he draws the line at pedophilia. I disagree with that statement. There is no redemption. I will give him no credit for anything. I'm just going to fight you for the rest of this episode. Okay. Probably for next episode, too. All right. So the drifter starts beckoning at Helen, and the mariner says, no, my boat. He doesn't want the drifter sailing away with Helen once he gets her on the boat. Because then he's going to be stuck with Enola alone, because he honestly doesn't care what happens to Helen. That's a very good point. Enola is very concerned about this situation, rightly so. And the mariner has zero sympathy for her, telling her to sit down. And and Helen tells Enola, sit down, just do as he says. And I love the venom dripping from Helen's voice when she says, just do what he says. Yeah, I still have no words. I'm sorry that I'm not being a good podcast co-host. But yeah, this is the second time that Enola has been put in this position of being told to sit aside while Helen's body is traded. and. Yeah, she just does it. She does what she's told. Because mm-hmm. in a situation like this, what else can she do? Mm-hmm. So the drifter heads below deck, and Helen follows shortly after, leaving the Mariner and Enola up above. And the last thing we see is Helen dropping down below deck and climbing through that doorway. Yep. So we get to, you know, continue this scene next week. Yeah. Oh, what a joy it will be. We've known this scene has been coming for a long time, and we haven't been looking forward to it. I don't know what I was hoping. I was hoping to be able to get through it. And it turns out I can't. I really just have no, I have nothing. I've pulled through shitty scenes where directors have treated women like crap before. And why do we keep pulling through these scenes? Why do these scenes keep getting put into movies? I don't understand it. I don't understand why we are willing to watch movies where women get treated this way. And I know I'm guilty of it, too. Here we are talking about and therefore promoting a movie that includes this grotesque scene. And we do it. And it's shitty. Yeah. And the worst part is, is you can achieve the same end goals without including stuff like this. Based on what we see later on in the movie, I'm pretty sure the main point of including the drifter is that there is something in that canister that allows Gregor to translate the language on Enola's tattoo. You don't need to have this sort of situation in order to get the paper from the drifter into the Mariner's hands. There are many, countless ways that could be achieved. Mm -hmm. In the book, the lead up to Helen going below deck is largely the same. But as we'll see next week, the execution of the minutes that we will be subjected to next time roll out a bit differently. So that should be interesting to watch how far... Kevin Reynolds is willing to go with it versus how far Max Allen Collins is willing to go with it. In the YA version of the novelization, this scene is essentially stripped out. Yeah, no kidding. Not a surprise there. Yeah. And here, you don't get the performance of Kim Coates. You don't get the stuttering. You don't get the manic energy. The drifter in the book is arguably a lot more menacing because it's played so straight, where he is entirely devoted to I want to buy the women I want to purchase them it's not dressed up in a sort of clowning movement and Mm -hmm. affect like I think the folks that were putting together through this movie and Kevin Reynolds directing these scenes probably wanted to try to 
takes some of the steam out of it. And in that, all he really succeeded in doing is trying to make light of a terrible situation. Right, which just further disrespects women and Gene Triplehorn. Mm -hmm. So we are going to cap it here. Come back next time. We will see Helen find out what it's like to be a woman on the internet. The Mariner will have a crisis of conscience, and the Drifter will find himself at odds with his host. The Mad Max Minute podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. Waterworld was written by Peter Rader and David Tuohy, directed by Kevin Reynolds, and presented by Universal Pictures. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Irae by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. Our home on the internet is MadMaxMinute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute. And like us on Facebook by searching MadMaxMinute and join our Facebook listener group, MadMaxMinute Beyond Microphone. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit Patreon.com slash MadMaxMin. Thank you for joining us for Waterworld Episode 42. We'll see you next time. Music